Welcome to the Gods of Tomorrow podcast, where we discuss religious deconstruction, secular humanism, political activism, and epistemology. Together, we explore how to solve human problems with human solutions. We deconstruct, we activate, and then most importantly, we live our fucking lives. I am your host, Josh Ra, and you are the gods of tomorrow. Alright, alright, alright. Let's uh let's do this shit. Welcome back everybody to Gods of Tomorrow. I am Josh Robertson. You can call me Josh Ra, and this is episode 20. Now, if you haven't met God. I want to let you guys know that he is a douchebag. Um, he, he is a bronze old age guy that just came up with a bunch of rules, created the universe, I guess, but then decided that he was really interested in knowing what foods we were eating and what sex we were having, and then decided to condemn people based on these things. I mean, if I created the entire universe, that's exactly what I would be looking into too. So just know that he is out there. You can find him, but once you do, once you invite him into your life, he's going to do whatever he can to touch every aspect of your life. Now, for those of you that have been joining us for a little while, you know that being facetious, uh, we are back again with a guest. Uh, you may recognize her as Eve was framed on TikTok. Eve and I had the pleasure of getting to meet each other in person last year, which seems so long ago. Eve, it's so good to see you again. How are you? It's really good to see you. I'm doing great. I'm so excited to chat and catch up and all of it. Yeah, figure out all the stuff that's been going on in our wild, crazy lives. I know we were able to talk a little bit before coming on and just talking about the difference that we see in the approach that atheists have towards the world versus Christians towards the world. And I continue to see yeah. just acts of kindness and compassion mm -hmm. and altruism from atheist individuals. And I don't see that so much from the Christian counterparts that we have through social media. It's just a constant barrage of hateful comments and threats of hell yeah. and damnation that are coming through to me. And a lot of what I'm sharing on TikTok is like, here's how you heal from trauma. Are you getting the same? I mean, how, how is that coming across in your own platform? It's, it's so bad. Yeah, I get, I mean, and I, I get it. Of course, I'm going to see kind of the worst of Christians because I'm directly challenging their beliefs. So I'm, I'm prepared for that. But yeah, the, the vitriol, the hatred, the emotion it stirs up, is interesting to me because atheists can say some really offensive intense things when you're challenging someone's beliefs but i see like the personal attacks um just really come through and i think it's it's from fear people are afraid you're confronting something that they hold closely so mm -hmm. yeah there's some mean there's some mean people out there in the in the name of jesus saying some really awful stuff <laughs> and to be fair you and i both wore those shoes and walked in them for a while do you remember being that harsh and cruel towards non-believers um as a christian or did you find that you still had maybe that's what pulled you out was that sense of compassion is like this isn't right why are we treating these individuals this yeah. way? Yeah, no, I definitely would never have, I say this a lot, I, I would have thought a lot of the things that people think as far as, oh, she's wrong, she was never a real Christian, or she's not a real atheist, or whatever it is. But I never would have actually said those things, and I definitely wouldn't have said it in a mean way. And that was a big part of my my turning and my uh, beginning of questioning was the hypocrisy of how people were treating others versus what I had been taught we were supposed to do. 
Now, I, I know that you've been invited into podcasts multiple times and you continuously get asked questions about your own journey. But if you would, for my listeners, kind of start us off and walk yeah. us through like your upbringing and, and what brought you into Christianity and then what took you out. Yeah. So I was I was born into Christianity. It was kind of chosen for me. Um, my parents and their parents and their parents were all Christians and, and pastors and missionaries. My my dad's parents were missionaries in Peru. My dad was born in Peru and raised on the mission field. Um, that was just, uh, you know, it, it wasn't an option for me. I, I was not taught, this is what we believe, and you could believe it if you want. I was taught, like, this, you are going to hell if you don't believe this, you know. Um, it, it was, from my earliest memories are of me laying awake in bed at night, terrified of hell or terrified of eternity or terrified of demons or, you know, something like that. So I grew up in it. My parents went on to become pastors in my, you know, very early teens, even before that, actually. And so my whole world was evangelical Christianity. I grew up in the charismatic side of things. My dad is now referred to as like a Trump prophet because he's on the whole QAnon side of things. It's just really, it's a lot of extremism. And and they, to this day, have a, a large ministry. Um, they don't have a church anymore, but they have a large ministry. All of my siblings work for them full time. Um, it's a lot. So I, yeah, I grew up in that. I thought that that was going to be my whole world forever. Um, I, I ended up going to ministry school, though, when I was 25, 26. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Bethel Church in Reading. Yes. Yeah. So I went there because um, things had gotten to the point in my personal life, in my marriage and stuff like that, where I I felt like I needed help from God. <laughs> I had so much anxiety and depression, and I was like, I just need to get closer to God. Mm-hmm. I had already done all of the things, but I was like, I just need to give everything to God. And um, so going to ministry school seemed like, the thing to do. Yeah. And I instantly got put on the worship team and then I was leading worship for thousands of people every week. And it's a whole thing. And this is right around when Trump came on the scene. Uh-huh. I was like, that helped and your anxiety I'm... standing in front of thousands of people? No, right. I literally, I show up there like, hey, I really want to like work on myself and like mm-hmm. go inward. And they're like, cool, we're going to put you on a stage. And I was like, I don't want to. And they're like, that's the humility of the Lord. That's why you should do it now, you know? basically like the opposite of what you're supposed to do with people who are having mental health issues. (laughs) Um, And then Trump, you know, so it's just all this stuff happening and, and I'm being spiritually abused. I'm um, having to lead worship services to, to pray and intercede for Donald Trump. I'm hearing my family go from being relatively progressive to like full on QAnon MAGA people. Uh, And I, instead of being like, fuck this. I was like, no, now I'm really going to connect with God because maybe his people are crazy, but he must be amazing. And I've got to learn more about him. And so I started really studying the Bible. Like I never had before. I started looking into other religions because I wanted to, um, find absolute evidence of my God. And long story short, uh, I found out that there wasn't evidence <laughs> of any God, nonetheless, my God. And so for me, I was left in a position of complete disbelief. Um, and I ended up walking away from my faith. I mean, I left kicking and screaming. I was trying to hold on to that belief. I didn't want to leave it. I had to give up my entire world, all of my friends, my family. I ended up packing a suitcase and I got a one-way flight 
to the other side of the country and never looked back. Um, but I had to be honest with myself. So that's in short what I came from, but it, it, it was, it was a big turning. <laughs> so that's in short and there's so much to unpack there. Uh, so going back to the beginning of your story of laying yeah. in bed and just being fearful of, you know, hell and eternity and what it had to come for you. Do you remember what the teachings were at the church at the time that were kind of being thrust on you as a child of like, what was the images that were being shown or the stories that were being mm. told that kind of led to that type of, I want to call it anxiety to just concern yeah. about your future that was already kind of seeded at a very, very young age. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of it didn't even come from my parents necessarily. They mm -hmm. would try to answer my questions when I would come to them with that. But a lot of it was coming from my grandparents and from Sunday school or from my peers because everyone was a Christian around me. Um, it was, I was hearing a lot about spiritual warfare. That was a huge thing that there are angels and demons battling mm -hmm. all around us all the time. And that we are just spirits living in this physical world. And, um, it's not about flesh and blood, you know, that whole Bible verse. And then also I remember vividly the Bible verse, uh, about being born desperately wicked. And yeah. just as a three, four year old thinking like, Oh my gosh, I am so wicked. <laughs> and, um, that, made me terrified of losing my salvation. Uh, and I, you know, I had my little kids illustrated Bible and I remember like even just the picture that was an illustration of Jesus on the cross, just being so yeah. would sit there just crying, staring at this image. Um, yeah. and it would haunt me. So it was, I did not have an option. I, at a very young age, the fear was there. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, how do you convince a three-year-old that there is any other option once they've been convinced? something that terrifying you know yeah, your story doesn't just resonate with me because i remember having to sit through early bible classes or going to uh, uh, those wednesday night you know bible teachings yes. and sitting there and having to watch the crucifixion and watching this Ugh. man nailed to a cross screaming out um mm -hmm. blood flowing and, and all those horrendous events but uh, and i i'm sure my friend doesn't mind me sharing this but i had a friend who talks to me frequently about when he was three or four being told the story of Jesus and how much Jesus loved him and, mm -hmm. and how the story was being shared with the entirety of the, the group of children, you know, in the Sunday school setting and how he just kind of keep together. He just bawled and bawled and bawled and hearing this and hearing how wicked he was and then going yeah. home and continuing to feel that sorrow and that pain from being told this yeah. story at such a young age to be told that you're terrible. Now, some children, Maybe they just kind of brush it off and they're like, "What, whatever, it, you know, it doesn't really hit home. But for those that are really compassionate and imaginative and have a certain development in the way that their personality and temperament and their brain is constructed, that stuff causes long-term fear that kind of seeds itself again. I know I've used that word already, but it really does hold on to that element of the brain and it comes into adulthood. Like you start to see it manifest in mental health. Issues. Absolutely. <laughs> and it, it's a, uh, it's just fascinating to me that we continue to allow this to happen. I, I don't want to go on that soapbox on every one of my podcasts that I do, but God damn, get the kids out of the church. Stop taking them. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It, it just regulates your nervous system. I mean, mm -hmm. my nervous system, I don't feel like has been fully regulated until the last couple of years. And mm -hmm. that's after putting so much work into it. I was just living in a chronic state of fight or flight, which then set me up to be in abusive relationships. It set me up to be in church environments that were abusive. Mm -hmm. And I didn't recognize it because I was so 
conditioned to just live in fight or flight. Yeah. And to be honest, if you were to take any Christian parent and ask them to go place their child into another belief system, many that you studied, and have them be mm-hmm. told the same types of stories with different gods and the same types of torturous things and told it was true, they would absolutely disallow that to occur with their child. Right. They'd be like, this is abusive. This is this is indoctrination. This isn't right. <laughs> and they would still allow it to do it. So yep. I did not know that your family was so involved in the church. Like, I think you had mentioned it before, but not to that level. And being yeah. raised in a place where uh, essentially your family's in charge of a congregation. You guys are considered to be spiritual leaders. Can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about this separation of your breaking away? And I know that might be a kind of a personal thing, but just like that, these are people you yeah, love, no. that you care for, that you're now, I don't know how well your relationship is now, but just being disconnected and having to find your own path without that support. Yeah. Yeah. That was a big part of my journey. It's, and it's the part that's still in process um, and will always be in process because it's relationships. But yeah, that was one of the number one things I think keeping me tied to my belief for a while is... Um, I couldn't imagine a world without being so close with my family. There, while we have wildly different beliefs and unfortunately now different values as well, um, they're very emotionally intelligent people. They have loved me well, and and the worst things about them are the religious side of everything. Like I love my family. I love their personalities. They're they're kind. They're fun. Um, I've got three amazing sisters and an older brother and they're, I just, I love them so much and my parents too. But so leaving was really, that was a big deal. And I knew it was going to be humiliating to them in a way. Um, That is, if nothing else, I knew it would make my father feel like, um, like his peers are maybe taking him less seriously. Like, oh, your, your oldest daughter can't even like stay in the faith, you know, what's going on there. Um, so I was really worried about that because I had already been divorced before. And just that, even though I was staying very Christian, yeah. just that was enough to like really disrupt things. And so this was next level. But I told my family, the way I told them is I wrote a letter um, and uh, or an email and I, I sent it to them because I wanted there to be time and space for them to process before reacting. And I said, this is life or death at this point for me. Mm-hmm. I, I cannot stay alive living this lie. Um, and, and I want to live and I want to have joy and happiness in my life. And so I'm getting out of this and I hope that you'll want to have a relationship with me anyways, but if you can't, I still am choosing my life at the end of the day. And they responded as well as I think they possibly could have. And they were there for me, however they could be. There was some parts that were really hard as far as things that I found out were being said about me behind closed doors to fellow pastors. And of course that has to happen. You know, I'm under the influence of witchcraft and I'm, you know, it's Satan and someday I'm going to come back around and my story is going to be used by God, you know, that kind of stuff, which I'm sure is still said, but I get it. They have to say that. Um, and then, and then we went through an even rockier period, especially when the insurrection was happening. Basically it was before I started off on social media, my dad's social media, he had a large, very large following. And I would post little things on my private stuff that would then get posted on his public stuff. Oh, and they would wow. say, well, his daughter doesn't seem to agree with this. And it caused some problems. Um, and it, I, I could not handle it emotionally. And I, uh, I couldn't handle 
the consequences of how that made me, made my family feel. And so I said, I need no contact um, until, uh, until I figure this out. And I got an amazing therapist. I took a year and I got the tools that I needed to process having relationship um, with them. And the last couple of years I've been back in relationship with them and, um, and I'm so thankful for that. My sister just had a baby and I'm going up and visiting them all the time. And so, so now we're in a really great spot, uh, still wildly disagree with them on things, but I'm actually able to talk to them about it now or maintain boundaries. So mm -hmm. a and long, I'm, long answer. No, that's a great answer too. I, I had somebody actually just asked me the other day, like, what is the first step of dealing with family and friends that, you know, don't see mm -hmm. things like I do and how do I maintain this relationship and stay with them? And, and it's always so hard to, help somebody else work through these very personal relationships that they have and give them advice yeah. that they can utilize without just feeling like their world is falling down around them. And, and the thing I always come back to is you have to set boundaries, like yeah. boundaries that you are unwilling to break. And mm -hmm. there's oftentimes an ultimatum that comes with that boundary. Like this is my boundary and this is what we're going to talk about and what we're not going to talk about, or this is what you're allowed to do in my home or what you're not allowed to do, so on and so yeah. forth. And if they break that, there's got to be a consequence to it. And sometimes it's that ultimatum, like, I, I'm not going to talk to you guys for a while. I'm upset and I got to process and step away. And that's really hard for people to do, especially when yeah. they're, I, I genuinely think people are good people. Like they, they're kind and they're caring and they want to have pro-social behaviors, engage with others. But I mean, have you found that those boundaries were tested for a long time? Like constantly trying to convert and pull back and small invitations of like, why don't you just come with us on Sunday and, and go to church? Or why don't we just have, uh, I'm coming over for dinner, but let's just have a quick prayer and be involved mm -hmm. in that. And those types of things it's just like, I don't do this here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I'm lucky in that I didn't, I haven't had a lot of people trying to reconvert me or, and my family's, I, I went on the record so strongly in the beginning. I think that those boundaries were pretty clear. And like I said, my family is really emotionally healthy and, mm -hmm. and tries to be respectful. Um, so I haven't had to deal with that as much. And even with friends and stuff, I think my social media has made it so, <laughs> I mean, they know what I'm going to say. So I think, I think that's kind of been the bonus of people knowing, but I, yeah, I just have to concur with what you're saying. Boundaries are vital. That's why I can maintain relationship is because I have boundaries and because my family follows them. And I, and I respect theirs as well. If I'm at their house and they're all having Christmas together and I'm the mm -hmm. only atheist that they want to say a prayer, I'm not going to have a bad attitude about it. Yeah. You know, I'm going to be respectful. I'll look at the floor um, yeah. and, and it's fine. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm not going to go to church with them because I can choose to stay home. But mm -hmm. I think it's like a mutual agreement to have respect for each other's boundaries. And that's what maintains the relationship. I find now that a lot of people in the like deconstruction and ex-evangelical space are just like, to them, a boundary is just like, I'm done with you forever. Yeah. And that's, I don't think, that that is necessary all the time. I understand it is a lot of times for somebody's safety and mental health. But I think we're so quick to go that direction instead of keeping what relationship we can. And mm -hmm. and that's where we see progress in society is when people that have very opposing beliefs maintain conversation. I got to give you a high five right now if we weren't through a virtual means because I, <laughs> I was just talking about this the other day in mm -hmm. um, my, my group on my Patreon was the importance of finding that common ground and continuing the conversation and moving mm. forward. And we had to step away from that us versus them mentality as right. much as I, I know that sometimes I put on that hat and I'm like, fuck them. Like, like, like we're right. not doing this okay. anymore. And <laughs> this is stupid. And this is ridiculous. And I'm tired of entertaining this like delusion. But at the right. same time, 
there has to be some point of finding that middle ground to allow civilization to continue to cultivate and for humanity to move forward. And this is a huge portion of our population. In fact, I just posted a video on TikTok before we came on to record that talks about the importance of forgiveness and the steps in forgiving yeah. um, and how we have to first recognize our own emotions and validate those. Then we have mm -hmm. to show empathy towards the people and the organizations that have hurt us, kind of put ourselves in their shoes. Now that we're condoning it, now that we're saying right. continue doing this, but just saying, I recognize that you're human and you've gone through yeah. your own stuff. And there's also a point of it that you're indoctrinated and you don't know any better. And I get yep. that. Like, I just can't argue with you because I can't convince you otherwise. And then the point of not holding resentment and just yep. being able to step back and saying, it, it's not worth my time to continue to live in the past and be angry with you about something that I cannot change. It may mean that I have a boundary and I don't engage with you anymore. Maybe that I have a boundary so I don't allow this to occur in my life with you anymore. But once you have that level of forgiveness, you can move on and grow and find the happiness yeah. that you're looking for. And I got pushback, like immediately comments pushing back saying, you know, I, I don't know that I like this message. Mm. But how else are we going to move forward? <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and I get it. I get the discomfort in that conversation because I've struggled with it. I'm only just now reaching that phase where I'm in total agreement. Um, and it's a position of privilege for me to be able to yeah. even do that so easily. And, and I recognize that. But I think when we can, when it isn't harming ourselves, when it mm -hmm. um, when we do have the emotional skill and tools to do that, we should strive for that if we actually want to see change. Mm -hmm. Because I'm thinking, like, how do we actually fight Christian nationalism? How do we actually fight indoctrination that's occurred in people since they were a young child? Intellect alone is not going to win. Like, we can't just, like, check off facts and say, well, we're right, so we win. Yeah. I mean, we have to, at the end of the day, uh, recognize the humanity and, and the person across from us, as long as they're willing to show up with that humanity. And mm -hmm. and as so cliche, but we do have to look at how to build some bridges. I don't want to build bridges with bigots, with Nazis, with racists or anybody like that. But yeah. I want to build bridges with those that have maybe been indoctrinated and led to believe things that mm -hmm. can easily be swayed if given the chance to converse about it. Yeah, I had somebody the other day comment on one of my YouTube videos, and they were like, you can't just keep saying all Christians. You can't just keep saying all Christians. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? You call out the Christians that are those bigots and right. those racists and that are doing hateful things and saying hateful things. I saw Matt, Matt uh, was it Dale Lunty, uh, uh -huh. speaking the other day about He's like called some guy a jackass on his call because he's like, <laughs> he's like, you can't come on here and tell me slavery is okay and it's okay to own people. Like, you're a jackass. Fuck you. And he hung up, hang up hung up on him but it's uh -huh. like until christians step out and call out those that are really pressing those boundaries that shouldn't be pressing them part of I, the I keep lumping them up it's like you're still probably part of the yeah. problem but because yeah. i don't have a problem with you being christian i don't have a problem with you yeah. having your belief system i i'm in full support of having a spiritual path that works for you but you have yeah. to keep it out of our schools and out of our politics and out of our communities and stop making it a public uh, mandate and yeah. just allow it to be your private practice Yep. Yeah, I'm all in favor of generalizing when it comes to like for communication's sake, especially we have to generalize to discuss these issues. And then on an individual basis, like I am not saying the hot takes that I say on my TikTok yeah. to an actual person sitting in front of me. Mm -hmm. that, to me, that's not how you handle that. Mm -hmm. I'm absolutely blasting it out there to like plant some seeds and mm -hmm. um, hopefully spark some critical thinking. But Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think how we handle individual relationships and then how different. we handle mass conversation has to be different. We have to have different mm -hmm. uh, plans 
And the plan with a human should just be to like acknowledge the human. Yeah. Yeah. That is so well said. Now I I would like to talk a little bit about your healing journey and therapy, if you are comfortable in doing that. But before we step into that, because I imagine it was part of the healing journey, I would like to shift gears and talk about purity culture that has existed within your charismatic church and what that looks like. And I, and I shared with you before we came into this, I'm ignorant of this. This did not exist in my Methodist Baptist upbringing in the Midwest. Um, okay. I mean, there, there was, of course, the idea of, like, save yourself for marriage, you know, don't have sex before marriage, and then you'll just be a sex machine when you get into it, and you'll know all the, all the things. Um, but outside of, like, that concept and it being a sin, um, or that even thinking about, you know, sex was a sin, there wasn't, like, purity contracts. There wasn't, like, purity yeah. rings. There wasn't this um, separation between what was expected out of men and what was expected out of women. So mm. kind of talk to me as though I know nothing and, and tell me, okay. like, how is this taught to youth? How does it start off uh, for yeah. those that are coming into the church? Yeah, for me, the way, cause it's, you know, it varies from church to church, but for me, the way it was handled, um, there was two primary influences externally of, uh, which would be Joshua Harris. And he wrote this book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, I think he was like 20 years old or something when he put this book out at the time, obviously I was like 11 or 12 reading this. So oh. I didn't realize how young he was, but the whole book, the concept of it was about courting and how you don't date. You like pray and ask God to show you who the one is. And then you enter a courtship, make sure everybody thinks it's a good idea. And then you marry them. And mm-hmm. you definitely are not like, kissing, holding hands, you come up with some kind of contract of what is okay. And um, it, it's, it's heavy on the, the, the goal in life is to find a partner and get married and as young as possible, because you want to have sex. So let's, let's get you married <laughs> off kind of thing. Okay. And then the other influence. I, so I was, I was reading <laughs> that book. I had the poster of the co- cover of the book on my wall at like 12 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, And then Rebecca St. James, she was a Christian artist that I grew up listening to. And she had this whole thing. She had a song called Wait For Me. And her whole thing was about how she's waiting on her future husband. And she was making it cool and trendy and, you know, high emphasis on sexual purity. Mm -hmm. Um, And and on not even like having a crush on somebody. Like you just don't even let you don't awaken love before it's time is the Bible verse. And um, you you keep your heart guarded and all of this. So those two influences, even without my parents or anything, that was enough. I was sucked in and I was like, I bought it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was so ashamed if I ever had a crush on somebody, I kept it a big secret or I'd share it with my one best friend, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, no dating, no kissing, no handholding, none of that. It was also reinforced. I grew up mostly having male friends and their moms usually at some point or another would end up shaming me for something. I remember being 12, going to a pool party and being asked to wear a large t-shirt over my one piece bathing suit when I'm like, haven't even gone through puberty yet. Mm -hmm. And I remember being so embarrassed and mortified that I would even be asked to do that. Um, So just learning at a young age that I was being sexualized already, that it was my responsibility to protect men and boys Mm -hmm. from my body at 12 years old. It was, it was a lot. (laughs) And then The only sex talk I got was Mm -hmm. before Rebecca St. James concert, my mom sat me down, had some book and like gave me a little talk. There was no talk about female pleasure at all. Really pleasure in general was not talked about. It was very like, this is what happens and this is what you do. And um, 
so sex to me was just like this very weird thing that I should stay away from until time to get married. And then you better be like a freaking porn star and satisfy your husband because that is your one role in life. Yeah. <laughs> and satisfy so your like, husband and have babies. <laughs> right. Yep, exactly. And not to interrupt, but in this, no, I, I just, I, I am concerned about the disconnection to the physical body in doing that. Yes. You're constantly kind of in this state of like trying to be spiritually pure and trying to be physically mm -hmm. pure and disallowing yourself to have certain thoughts, have certain experiences. Like, does it, does it make you feel like you're like, this isn't even really me? I, I don't even Absolutely. know how to word it. Okay. Yeah, I, I felt like I disassociated most of my childhood and teen years and it's still a coping mechanism that I am actively working on. Mm -hmm. And so that was a big, I, I mean, embodiment has been a big part of my healing journey because I was out of my body all the time. And in my sexual relationships, I was married three times before mm -hmm. and directly because of purity culture and all of that. Um, I was one of the lucky ones where things were bad enough that I was given an excuse to get out of the marriages, which is rare. A lot of times they want you to stay forever, no matter what. And so um, I just, I just associated. That was how I got through it. That was my coping. I just kind of left my body and stayed. And you're already learning, like you said, you're already learning how to do that. First of all, you're a three-year-old child lying in bed, terrified of hell and thinking mm -hmm. about spiritual warfare. That's very much gets you out of your body. Um, not a lot of groundedness there. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then you're in worship services where you're like taught that you should be feeling something in these charismatic worship services. So you're trying to get out of your head all the time. And you're trying to just be away. And it's, yeah, it's the opposite of being grounded or being in your body. And that's been a massive part of healing for me is accepting pleasure. And I don't just mean sexual. In fact, I primarily mean just like pleasure of living in life and yeah. taking in present moments exactly as they are. I was taught to reject those because they're not important. Like, the eternity in heaven is, is important. <laughs> well, and, and that's what I was aiming at too, which I, I don't want listeners to think that we're being like, oh, you know, this purity culture has caused this disconnect between body and mind. And if you're not masturbating and you're not having early premarital sex, then you're not going to really understand who you are. But there's also a certain exploration with the body um, in terms of just having adrenaline rushes and bliss and yeah. physical sensations and closeness. Yep. You know, you're talking about no kissing, no hand holding, probably no hugging with those in, in, dis right. in uncomfortable locations. You know, I can't hug my best friend at the pool in my one piece because this is going to be seen as inappropriate. I'm going to be shamed for it. And so you're right. immediately kind of pulled away from normal human interaction that gives yeah. you this disconnection. In addition to all these things you're talking about with regards to you know, my thoughts that I have that are evil are of Satan and the devil. And those that are pure must be coming from God. And I have these fears, but that's Satan giving me fears. And if I just turn to God and engage in this, everything that people in my church are doing, then I'm going to be saved. And that's where the real bliss is. And all of these physical sensations of bliss yep. are false. When they're not, it, those are all things right. that are part of being human. <laughs> right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's just like the demonization of everything that makes us, enjoy the here and now and you know learning that i had vilified that part of my life was a big step in me starting to ask more questions and starting to deconstruct everything and um 
I think that's part of the work that I'll just be doing forever. But it's also the most fun work for me now. Like I really, I feel like a kid anytime I get to experience something joyful that I never, like, I hate scary things, but going to a haunted house with my friends for the first time, I was like, this is so cool. Like I never would have, and it makes you very present. And I, you know, I just enjoyed all these little silly things that much more because I was constantly, like you said, rejecting them um, and trying to focus on the spiritual and focus on something other than myself. Now, if you could indulge me a little bit, you talked about how, your divorces um, or your marriages were coming from purity culture. The divorce is probably part of that as well. Is there yeah. a different message that's given to the men and the women in the course of that? Were these men all Christian men, like from the same church or the same upbringing that just had different expectations? Or can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, mostly. I mean, the primary message, and this was reflected the most in my first marriage at 19 years old, which is crazy to me. I look back at night. I'm like, my brain wasn't fully developed. I mean, you look at my wedding photos, I'm a child. (laughs) And, um, and the message to me was to be a helpmate, to be available and ready at all times. Mm -hmm. And, um, the message being given to my then husband was, uh, to find, to, to find satisfaction for me at all times. And then if he's not, it's probably something I'm not doing right. And that needs to be communicated. And so that's really shaming too, because then you're 19, you've never kissed anybody in your life, but now it's your fault if you're not like fulfilling every sexual urge. And and that's where marital coercion, coercion comes in. That's another awful side. Most of my friends that grew up like that, um, really, it's just like a nice way of saying rape, but marital coercion, I think is good because there is the fawn response and I don't know how much we can blame the other party when there is a fawn response happening. But either way, the, the general um, culture, the general purity culture is that women have to protect themselves from men until they're married. And then it's like, now you give everything. Yeah. Now you're the object of the man who has right. won his well, prize. And, and I, for me, the sad part about purity culture that I've seen impact men the most negatively is the shame that's put on them for um what turns them on for like with porn and all of that i have watched like the men in my life that have had the biggest issues with porn and maybe even like sex addiction have by far been the religious ones the other guys have been so normal and have really healthy normal um sexual uh urges and boundaries and exploration yeah yeah. yeah, because it's not been this crazy weird thing. So they don't have this obsessive thing over it. Whereas the other guys, it was almost like the more mm-hmm. it wasn't allowed, the more urges there were and the more shame, shame there was because then they kept it a secret and then it turns into this cycle and then it turns to a hidden thing and then they're trying to go meet people. And it's just we, it that side of purity culture gets weird. It gets yeah. dark and it gets weird real fast. So if you guys are listening right now, there, there's so many important messages and what Eve is talking about that I think needs to be pulled out of this conversation. One, if you have a teen or an adolescent or a young preteen and you haven't had a good conversation with them about adolescent sexual health, have those conversations, open the doors, yeah. keep the doors open, continue having those conversations all the way through their teenage years. And if you aren't sure about what to say, do some research, do some study and read some books, educate yourself about what's normal and not normal in the whole realm of 
adolescents. Two, don't get married before the age of 26 or 27. <laughs> Wait until your brain is fully Amen. developed. <laughs> uh, it's, Amen. it's so necessary to recognize that you are going to continue to grow and your brain is going to continue to develop up until your mid-20s. And if you were, mm -hmm. even if you're dating somebody at 19, 20 years old, you at 20 and them at 20 are going to be completely different people at 26. You should still yep. wait until a time where your, your, your brain is fully developed before you make that decision. And third, marital coercion or rape does exist. You can force your spouse in a relationship mm -hmm. um, into a, a sexual engagement that they are not um, willing to engage in. And that consent right. is still important even when you're married. Right. Uh, I get so frustrated even working, and I'm not going to go into a whole bit, but working for the military, I would have military men tell me that they can't rape their wives. Like, that's impossible. She's my wife. I can do what I want. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I could strangle you. Like, that is yeah. so... <laughs> It's so damning. I can't believe that people still hold that belief yeah. in this century. I, and I believe that. That was part of what you're taught, basically. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the your one of your primary roles as a wife is to be yeah. available. So consent isn't even, I didn't even know what consent was. So that's why I use the term marital coercion, because yeah. I, I don't, I'm not trying to make claims against people, right. but it is important to acknowledge what it is at the end of the day. And when consent isn't even taught, then people can't, my exes couldn't have had a healthy sexual relationship with me because I wasn't taught that consent could even be a thing. And that mm -hmm. is so common, but it causes the same damage either way. <laughs> yeah, and I don't want to give them allowance, but I do believe some of what you've shared too is that men that are raised in that culture are also given a script that they follow, that they believe is true, and don't recognize what they're doing is violating the boundaries of somebody else. They see yeah. it as being normal um, mm -hmm. and, and something to do. But again, sexual congress requires consent. It doesn't matter if you're married or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, agreed. Thank you for summarizing all of that so well with all my just rant. <laughs> oh, you're doing fabulous. You're doing fabulous. I'm just trying to make sure that I'm understanding well too. All right, so let's shift back again to the healing in therapy yeah. and what that process looked like because I've been working now with so many individuals that are deconstructing or deconverting, um, some that are reconstructing their faith and trying to find out what they believe. Some of them have yeah. spiritual elements in that. Some of them are mm -hmm. moving towards atheism in that. But what was your process like in tearing all this down and then trying to build yourself back up into your current form? Yeah. For me, I mean, like I said, it was kind of an overnight shift in belief from belief to disbelief and i'm kind of that sort of person i'll it'll take me years to process something and then once i process it it all just clicks and then i refuse to live any other way other than exactly in truth <laughs> and truth was that i didn't believe anymore so so i already dropped that belief pretty quickly i didn't really have to go through i i hear from a lot of people that it, they stop believing, but they're like still afraid of hell or things like that. And unfortunately, well, fortunately, I can't really relate to that because I let go of that belief pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I had that fear for all those years leading up to it. But once I moved on, I moved on. But for me, what it looked like is I knew I wasn't believing anymore, but I so badly like wanted to believe that there was something. And so I held on for maybe... I don't know, six months to a year, this idea of like the universe, like, can I just call the universe God? Can I just say that like science is God? Can I put some pretty words to it? And a lot of that was, I had never been allowed to like go to a metaphysical shop or like I was taught that tarot cards would bring demons into my house. 
And I really wanted to experiment with that and be like, now that I don't believe this. Mm -hmm. So I had so much fun going and buying crystals and tarot cards. And it was also very trendy at the time mm -hmm. too. Yes, it still is. And so I, I got all the things and I tried all the things. And I, I think that's great. I think if somebody wants to ex explore that side yeah, of things, do it, get it out, get it out of your system. <laughs> and for me, like that was, I didn't find, um, I didn't find what I was looking for in that. And I know some people do when they settle there. And I think that's great. I don't think that's the majority of the time, anything can be harmful, but the majority of the time, I don't see that being a harmful spiritual side of things. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, I was like, I'm really just trying to make something happen here that's not happening for me. I don't actually want to sit here and meditate with these crystals. I'm boring myself right now. <laughs> and so I, I moved on from there. Um, and the atheist experience, that show, was a big part of mm -hmm. me kind of locking in with what I um, what I believed and what I didn't believe and how to, how to word that. It introduced me to a lot of amazing uh, thinkers. Mm -hmm. That was a big part of it. And then getting a therapist um, was a another big step in not even my therapist actually is a Christian, but, um, but a very professional therapist. So that doesn't interfere with anything, but just learning like to get back in touch with my emotions and my my body and all of that. Um, that was the next the next big step for me. We do EMDR. Uh, that's been really, really mm -hmm. helpful for me. Um, and family systems where, you know, you go in and you get to befriend parts of yourself that you'd shut off and mm -hmm. or or vilified or whatever. And that's been really cool because I think a huge part of religion is um, shaming massive parts of yourself and shutting them out. Uh, when I learn now, I can embrace them. <laughs> yeah, it's just part of being human is embracing that good and the bad. I really like in your story that there's so many positives. There's so much silver lining to it from your family being having emotional intelligence and responding to you in a positive way and wanting to maintain those relationships, finding a Christian yeah. therapist that is maintaining professionalism. I, I have so many people that come and tell me that they have a therapist that's pushing their own religious beliefs mm -hmm. on them and trying to pull them into churches and, and using their own spirituality as a guy that frustrates me to all ends as a therapist myself. Um, yeah. but, but knowing that like you have found a nice safety net of connection and support, um, that has continued to help lift you up and help you better find like your true sense of identity and who you are and what yeah. you love without really judgment attached to it. Just nonstop every single day. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, community, I think is also a massive one that I didn't list in there, which, uh, I honestly found mostly through speaking out online. Um, mm. Dave Warnock is one that's been a yeah, huge, I love Dave. Um, he still yeah, texts, he texts me all the time. He's just the best. <laughs> I call him my atheist dad. It's hilarious because he actually looks so much like my dad and him and my parents hung out and all got along and had the best time ever. So, so Dave is amazing. I've gotten to meet so many people through him and then through other places and I met you guys. Mm -hmm. um, so that has been massive. And I understand that that is a really difficult thing for some people is to find community and find people. I'm lucky in that I'm extroverted and I think that that has really helped me, but that's my advice to people is like, put yourself out there. You have to seek out these friendships and these relationships. You have to follow through. You have to go. It's almost like dating, but to find just mm -hmm. community. Um, yeah. And church doesn't teach you that. It tells you here you are in this, 
you know, literal place. And everybody in here is now your friends and family because we believe the same thing. That's it. (laughs) That's probably been one of my things that I've been most caught up in in the past Mm -hmm. couple of months is looking at the research that comes out that talks about Christians being happier or having better lives. And they try to connect it to a relationship to God. And it's really has to do with their connection to community. It has to do with yeah. having a local place, meeting regularly, being in an echo chamber, reinforcing, reendorsing different concepts and ideologies with one another, having potluck, sharing food, um, yeah. getting yourself into these high charismatic states that everybody's in that kind of pushes endorphins. It connects the brain with the experience, with feeling good, you know, sensations. And atheists don't have that. Like we, we don't have a church we go to every Sunday or a place that we always go and converse and communicate yeah. with. And, and I think that that gives them a sense of loneliness and separation that sometimes makes them score lower on those tests and those scales, but it's yep. not due to God. God is not part of the equation. It's not part of the problem. Right. It has to do with being around people regularly and connecting with them. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That is, I, that's brought up all the time in my comment section, like, Oh, have you seen this study? And I'm, that's not saying what you think it's saying. That's, yeah. Number one, it's really sad because it shows how dependent, um, especially American culture is on church in order for people to have food and shelter and family and all of that. And it shouldn't be that way. Anybody should have that regardless of their beliefs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it it shows, you know, there's with the whole LGBTQ plus community, they are literally kicked out of their homes oftentimes. Mm-hmm. So, of course, they're not going to be as happy as the Christians who have like you said, the echo chamber. Yeah. Um, and we need to see that switched. I think, I do think that is something, I know it's weird to say the atheist community because there's not a lot, like, it's not like we agree on all these things. All we have in common is that we don't believe there's a God, but that is something secular community could mm-hmm. really improve upon. And we've been saying that for forever is, is finding ways to connect and be there for our fellow humans on a relational like meal train when somebody is sick or has a baby kind of way. We don't have that right now. Yeah. And if we could really take the time to sit down and identify all those different pieces that do allow people to feel connected and give right. them a safe space to heal, you're going to mm-hmm. see happiness across the, the line for all humans in Christ. Yep. Um, I just, I keep thinking about what you say about the LGBTQIA community and how much I hear Christians talk about them being demonized or infested by demons and you can yeah. tell because of how unhappy they are and their struggles and it's like it's because you motherfuckers are not <laughs> supporting them like you're kicking right. them out like you're giving them nothing if you were just to support them and love them and care for them like your book tells you to they'd be yeah. fine yeah yeah i mean you call somebody demonized and then you're like they act crazy like um i'm sorry self-fulfilling prophecy i mean this is it, it is it's heartbreaking. And, and you see now like the right wing extremists, that's what their uh, big thing that they're going after right now is the trans community. Yeah. Um, you know, let's not worry about if people are eating and mm-hmm. like have jobs and our clothes and all of that. Let's just attack this one French community that already uh, is not supported enough in general. It, it's, it, it's very frustrating and it's sad and it shows how weak, um, their arguments are that they have to go after mm-hmm. those that need to be protected most, you know? Yeah. At some point we all need to come together as a species and recognize that we're all human. 
and just support those that are human and stop trying to create these divides. And I am not confident that I will live long enough to see it, but I hope that I can at least take the right steps (laughs) to get us closer there for future generations. Yeah. So, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to finish up and say, I, I think one of the sad things too is evangelicalism kind of teaches to like, that you, you shouldn't embrace your humanity. It's very anti-human. And that's, I think that's a big part of the disconnect there is we have people like us that are like embracing our inner humanity. And we're like, human used to be a bad word to me. I thought that was bad. Like you don't want to embrace your humanness. Um, and so that's part of that, that thought process we have to challenge. Yeah, absolutely. I I was actually just going to open it up and say, is there any primary messages that you want to share today for your group? I know you talk on a lot of different subjects through your TikTok and explore a lot of different areas, but is there a primary message that you want to give to viewers or any final words for them? I think my main thing right now that I just want to keep hitting on is Christian nationalism and how um, pervasive it is and how it honestly does scare and concern me. I grew up, that was the other part of my family is they, um, the dominionism, that whole theology was how I grew up, seven mountain message. Um, and I, I know that there have been kids like when I was a kid that were indoctrinated to pull this off and to take over the government and the entertainment industry and all that. And it's, they're, they're really trying. Um, and they're a French group, they're extremists, but they are organized and they've been organized for years and years and years. For those that have seen Jesus camp, you'll see it there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Roe v. Wade got overturned. That should be a really big wake up call to us. So I think my main message right now is to um, come on strong against Christian nationalism. And I don't care if you are a Christian. I don't care if you're whatever your beliefs are. If you can agree with me on that, then you are a friend. You are an ally. And that is something that we should be actively working on. And I will build whatever bridges I can with people that are willing to fight Christian nationalism. Yeah. So I I want to encourage others to do the same. And I will say that there are plenty of Christians that are against Christo-fascism. Yeah. I mean, they, they are constantly fighting against that alongside with secularists and trying to make sure that that does not become a reality. Uh, those yeah. of you that are not familiar with the Seven Mountain, um, I don't know the full thing. Is it Seven Mountain? Seven Mountain message, Seven Mountain mandate. There's all kinds of, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it is about them essentially infiltrating every area of government, society, culture, um, finances, et cetera, to make sure that they are managing those and, and running those from behind the scenes. And they there's been a strategy that has been put together uh, from conservative standpoints for at least the last 70 years, if not longer, that has yep. been well executed and putting them into positions of power to have control over of all those different dynamic pieces of what our country yeah. is. And that's what you're talking about. I know that maybe yeah. not everybody's been educated in that, but it is a very, very real thing. Yeah, it's how Trump got elected and it's how the Supreme Court is compromised now. It's um, It's a scary thing and it's not something to be taken lightly, I think. Okay, we're going to have to bring you back on so we can probably explore that again another time. But if you would, let people know where they can connect with you. How can they um, learn more about all of this and, I guess, get more of your message? Yeah, so I'm I'm on TikTok. Um, It's Eve underscore was framed. And it's the same over on Instagram and on Twitter, although I'm really not so great at tweeting. (laughs) Uh, It's a little scary over there to me. But TikTok and Instagram are the main places. I try to do lives and um, answer questions and all of that over there. So that's the best place 
to come hang out and learn more. All right. I appreciate it, Eve. Thank you again so much for joining me today. And thank all of you for coming back again on Gods of Tomorrow and sitting down and having a chat. Just a reminder that our Discord community is now open. We have channels and forums for everything that comes down to deconstruction, as well as healing from religious trauma. Uh, the community is growing there strong and fast. There's, of course, also my Patreon that you can come into. We meet every month and have secret conversations where the Christians can't hear us uh, to talk about your own deconstruction and your healing. And I've now opened up my own life coaching practice as well, where you can come on there and I will help you work through your own religious deconstruction or if there's other issues that you are looking at. But for now, please head out of here, get out of here, go do your own thing, go live your best life, go be the best version of yourself that you possibly can be. And as always, do what the fuck you will. Oh,